yes? Is it about the head? Look, I'm awfully sorry. I am the Grim Reaper. Who? The Grim Reaper. Yes, I see. I am death. Yes, well, the thing is, we've got some people from America for dinner tonight. Who is it, darling? It's a Mr. Death or something. He's come about the reaping. I don't think we need any at the moment. Hello. Do leave him hanging around outside, darling. Ask him in. Darling, I don't think it's quite the moment. Do come in. Come along in. Come and have a drink. Do. Come on. Patrick. What is it? Where are you going? We've got to return some videotapes. You walk into this room at your own risk. Because it leads to the future. Yo, see, bitch. Oh, this is gonna surprise for the city. Yeah, you're gonna love this one. It's a scream, baby. But where? I have to return some videotapes. All you beautiful boys and girls, it's me, Jackie Daytona, regular human bartender here with another episode of I Have to Return Some Video Tapes. How you doing, babies? How you, how you feeling? There we go. See, I told you, man. If you waited, good things happen to those who wait. But uh, speaking of good things happening, my dear sweet bippies, my little binguses and bonguses, are you ready to talk about death? And sand, and the old west, and, you know, being set to the gallows, and this party I went to one time, it's gonna be a hodgepodge, babies, like all good episodes are, but really, really, this, this is a kind of a whole episode about death, ish, 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 <laughs> it's gonna be a fun one, you little stinky little dinkus, I can't wait for this one. I can't wait for it. So uh, I'm actually going to shut the fuck up right now and just bibbidi-bobbidi-bop on this first song so that we can fucking party before I start talking about some new trauma I collected. They're like Pokemon. Gotta catch them all. So uh, let's have a little fun time opening and then I'll dive straight into the depths of human horrors. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> to live long they have no use for your song you're dead you're dead you're dead you're dead and out of this world you'll never get a second chance plan all your moves in advance stay dead stay dead stay dead stay dead and out of this world Fast, don't stand in the sun. There's too much work to be done. You're down, you're down, you're down, you're down and out of this world. Don't ever talk with your eyes. Sure that you compromise. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead and out of this world. Hear the unloved weeping like rain. Guard your sleep from the sound of their pain. Long gone, long gone, long gone, long gone and out of this world. When you smile and it tears your face It's time for the inhuman race You're down, you're down, you're down You're down and out of this world Now your hope and compassion is gone You've sold out your dream to the world Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead You're dead and 
You know, I've heard hotel people kind of gossipy saying, you know, oh, working night audits, like the easiest shift you could work, man. I mean, everyone's already asleep. You only got a few check-ins and you leave like in the morning before it really gets busy. Night audits, fucking easy, man. And I mean, there's uh, a certain degree of truth to that. It's less demanding, you know, with the morning shift and the PM shift, it's a lot more dealing with people all the time. If you have like 90 fucking check-ins like we did yesterday, uh, you're going to be a busy little bitch. You're not going to have time to sit down, but night audit's a bit more chill than that. So as far as the workload goes, it's it's somewhat equivalent, but it's uh, it's just a matter of, you know, circumstance. It's a matter of how many people are in the hotel. Sometimes you can sit on PM shift and do fucking nothing, whereas me on audit, I have to get ready for the next day and balance all the bills and do a bunch of accounting shit. So it kind of evens out. I wouldn't say that there really is, you know, oh, that's the easiest shift. I would argue PM is slightly easier than AM, but I really don't work those. I'm an auditor, and I like being an auditor. But uh, being an auditor is very emotionally demanding, especially if you're somebody who cares a lot, who just can't turn it off. It can be, it can be hard. Uh, tonight, <laughs> it was fucking hard. Had this blonde woman, this homeless woman come in. Fur coat, which was like, I don't know why I've seen this so many times. Homeless women, fur coats. They go together like peanut butter and cheese, I guess. But uh, I let her warm up for 10 minutes. I offer her a phone charger. She's like, oh, that's fine. Thank you. And she leaves. And I move on with my night. A little while later, she's back. And I'm like, oh, hey, come on, man. I'll give you 10 minutes, but you got to go. And she just says, no, I, I won't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. I have nowhere else to go. I... No, I'm not leaving. So I call TriWest Security. We uh, work with them pretty closely. I chat with them every single night I work at the hotel. Even when there's not an incident, they always do a little security check-in. So uh, this was actually right after they left from that little security check-in. So I give them a call. Basically saying, oh, TriWest, you you better get fucking back here. And uh, before TriWest shows up, this man comes to the door sobbing. Like, not crying. Crying is an inappropriate term. He was sobbing. He, I barely could understand him. He was sobbing so hard. Well, the only words I could make out were, she's my friend, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he's shivering, high, cold. Combination of both. And it's my job to say, get out. Leave. Go back out into the cold. It really makes you feel like a fucking pirate. Like, walk the plank. And it is, in this weather, minus 33 degrees right now, it quite literally can be a matter of life and death. Like, I have not heard such desperation in a man's voice since there was a stabbing at the Ramada. Like, people ask you what your biggest fear is. And for me, it's always mental stuff. I, I used to say dementia was my biggest fear. But that is my biggest fear, being so high and so scared and so desperate that you just wander around sobbing. You barely know where you are. You don't know what time it is. You don't know what day of the week it is. You are literally just trying to survive. You are confused and scared. And everyone who tries to help you, you just, you can't. That's... So basically what happens is these two people in the lobby, one sobbing, desperate man and a, a blonde, more reasonable woman, I suppose, TriWest shows up and, uh, sorry, oh, <laughs> I'm getting caught up. This is a lot for me, man. I'm sorry. And uh, basically give him a couple toques, a couple extra pairs of gloves, you know, a little face covery, not a ski mask, but like a neck pull-up thing, just some warmer clothes for him. And they call RCMP, not like a, RCMP, you better bust these perps. More like RCMP, can we please come and take these people somewhere warm just so they don't die. So they literally won't die. That was why RCMP was called. And before RCMP shows up, they both leave. They both go their separate ways, belligerent high, just scared 
honestly. And it's impossible not to have empathy. It's just, it's, it's not possible for me to shut that off. Hearing that man sob that deeply, like, I've literally never heard such a horrible, desperate, gut-turning sound since somebody was stabbed in my lobby. Like, it is fucking brutal. Man, I'm emotionally exhausted already, and it's 2.15 a.m. I'm not even halfway through a shift. I'm recording this at work because this just happened. But, like, people who say being a night auditor is the easiest job, man. You haven't worked fucking nights. It's so... It's so sad to me, too, that people hear RCMP and they just bolt. They just get scared. They don't realize that, you know, serve and protect, (laughs) you know, that's part of the thing, right? They're not going to come over here and be like, all right, what have you kids been smoking? They're literally just trying to get you somewhere warm so you don't die. So you don't have to wander around confused and sobbing and literally in agony. That's what that sound was that I heard tonight. It was human despair. It was pure, unfiltered agony. And now I got to finish up the shift. I got to finish all the paperwork and count float and do all this other shit and just try and put that behind me. It's, it's not easy, man. That's the reason I dropped out of fucking justice studies in part is because somebody told me you were going to be dealing with people on the worst day of their life Every single day, if you go down this career path. And I fucking bailed. I panicked. I can't handle it. I'm soft. I'm squishy. I'm a little guy. This is no position for little guys to be working in. A night auditor. It's hard. It's painful. I know people who have had guns pulled on them. I know people who have been threatened with knives. Like, it's not easy, dude. It's painful a lot of the time and you have to be an asshole a lot of the time you have to send a lot of street people just back out into the street even if it's minus 50 that's your job is to make sure that they don't linger around and it's just heartbreaking man it's it sucks i hate it it's the worst part of my job because you know about 50 percent probably more than that i'd argue 70 60% of homeless people are harmless. They're just going to come and pick cigarette butts and maybe get a few cans and sleep against a wall. Really, they ain't doing nobody no harm. Most of the people I deal with aren't like, you know, raving homeless lunatics who are high on shit. They're just people going through a hard time trying to survive. But of course, I have to go in assuming that everyone is here to start shit. That's what they pay me for. I'm security. Like, I literally, I'm paid not to trust you. And it sucks. (laughs) I I have to, though. I can't take that risk. You know? It's hard. It's hard. (laughs) I have no conclusion, man. It's just fucking hard. And it's never going to be easier, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I ain't got no home, ain't got no shoes, ain't got no money, ain't got no class, ain't got no skirts, ain't got no sweater, ain't got no perfume, ain't got no bed, ain't got no mind. Ain't got no mother, ain't got no culture, ain't got no friends, ain't got no schooling, ain't got no love, ain't got no name, ain't got no ticket, ain't got no token, ain't got no God. And what have I got? Why am I alive anyway? My hair, got my head, got my brains, got my ears, got my eyes, got my nose, got my mouth, I got my smile, I got my tongue, got my chin, got my neck, got my boots, got my heart, got my soul, got my 
feet, got my toes, got my liver, got my blood, I've got life, I got my freedom, I've got life, I've got life, and I'm gonna keep it, I've got life, and nobody's gonna take it away. That should be good. That's groovy. One of my favorite movies. Not my favorite movie. Especially not my favorite Ingmar Bergman movie. That would be Hour of the Wolf. But uh, one of my favorite movies is The Seventh Seal by Ingmar Bergman. It's uh, about this knight sort of returning home from the Crusades in the middle of the Black Death. And the entire movie, he is literally in a chess match with death. Death shows up quite a few times. He makes his moves. He does the best he can. And the movie ends with death sort of leading him and his party off into the horizon. It's a really beautiful movie, honestly. It's got a lot of compassion to it. It's it's hard to watch. You know, it reminds me of that sort of feeling you get during the full metal jacket, like war movies, where it's just a lot of human suffering. It's It's hard to watch, but it's beautiful to watch. It's an amazing movie. And another one of those movies I watched for the first time recently is uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which they don't seem terribly connected, but uh, I think that through line of death, you know, really connects it all. And I've heard people say that, you know, horror is drama with the highest possible stakes, which is part of the reason I like it. It's the ultimate drama. It's not like my kids are going to leave. It's I will fucking die. It's tense. It holds your attention. And a lot of those old Westerns do that really well. It's tense. It holds your attention. It makes really effective use of silence where like nobody's talking, but the camera's whipping around, just showing people's faces, these little sideways glances. It's, I guess it got me thinking, you know, between Ingmar Bergman and Sergio Leone and my own fucking hotel experience about death dealers, dealers of death, you know? There's a great scene in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly where basically a man stands in the door and it cuts to the guy who lives there and his wife and his family and there's not a single word spoken until the man sits down at the table but it is painfully obvious that that man standing in the doorway that is death he is coming to kill me i know it my wife knows it my son knows it and the only thing i can do about it is invite him in to fucking dinner man People, when they think of death, they often personify it as this long, tall, black cloak. You know, I think of death in The Seventh Seal in the Ingmar Bergman movie where he's like this bald guy, very tall, very stoic, I would say. I think we do that somewhat to distract from the fact that we are our own death dealers. We are death we deal more death than fucking natural causes i would argue between you know the military the police even security guards even just between each other people kill each other all the time you have no way of knowing if you've if you've ever met a murderer really you could have met a couple by this point you have no idea unless you see some name in the news you recognize you know i think we're sort of surrounded by these death dealers and that's the thing. You know, I think it would be easier if death was this massive seven-foot black cloak carrying a scythe. But most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's just fucking people. And I think that's scarier than, than you know, any personification of death. You know, it's interesting. There's sort of two personifications of death. There's kind of the big menacing big black cloak and a scythe. And then there's kind of this idea of death as a seductress, as a bit of a temptress, you know, the, the thing that you want all your life, but you never get right until the end, you know? It's the ultimate kind of come on, the ultimate... Oh, it's interesting. I don't know. I just keep thinking about that, the concept of death dealers walking amongst us. I wonder how many times I've, I've shaken hands with 
with a dealer of death without even realizing it. I mean, fuck, just by pure circumstance. You could be driving home one day, and out of the blue, you find yourself, you know, in the company of death dealers. You are amongst their ranks. It's... People are squishy, man. As much as, you know, we like to think we're... It's like it's like 9-11. Like, it's a building. It ain't gonna fall down. Look at that. It's a fucking building. What do you mean? Who could knock over a building? I feel like we kind of feel like that about ourselves. Like, I'm one piece. I'm Eric. I am a single unit of Eric. That is what this is. Nah, 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 nah. You're a big, squishy, pliable mess, dude. You can slice you, dice you, chicken fried rice you pretty darn easy. And if you won't, maybe, maybe some fucking dealer of death will. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know what my point is, I suppose. But dealers of death. Those who, whose legal tender is souls like Lloyd at the fucking Overlook Hotel. Those goddamn dealers of death. When I hear the rain a-coming down It makes me sad and blue Was on a rainy night like this That flow said we were through I told her how I loved her and I begged her not to go but another man had changed her mind So I said goodbye to flow Alone within myself tonight My heart is filled with fear The only sound within the room Is the falling of each tear I think about the thing I've done I know it wasn't right They'll very flow tomorrow But they're hanging me tonight They're hanging me tonight That night he came and took my flow And headed into town I knew I had to find this man and try to gun him down As I walked by a dim cafe and I looked through the door I saw my flow with her new love and I couldn't stand no more I couldn't stand no more I took my pistol from my hip and with a trembling hand I took the life of pretty flow and that good for nothing man that good for nothing man I think about the thing I've done I know it wasn't right They'll very flow tomorrow But they're hanging me tonight They're hanging me Once upon a time in a land called Fonk. Actually, it was it was it was Red Deer. It was it was in Red Deer, right? But uh, I was in a musical called Air Raids and Sirene Songs. Uh, it was like a kind of a World War II-y thing. If Air Raids didn't tip you off, it was a Remembrance Day play. We ended up performing it at like the old folks' home and several spots around town during November, and it was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it quite a lot. And the weird thing about it was it wasn't a high school project. Like, I was involved in three high school plays slash musicals officially, but this was an outside-of-school thing with the uh, Red Deer players, so it wasn't high school students. In fact, I was the only high school students. There was a college kid, uh, quite a few, like, 
30-somethings, almost somebody from every age group. I was little baby Charlie. That was my character. I was supposed to be a 16-year-old kid who was, like, really eager to enlist, but uh, I was already 18 and, like, six foot two. but they were like, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll worry about it. <laughs> Actually, fun fact about that, too. They they sat me down, like, you know, your character should have a British accent because he's, like, a little British lad, so, like, let's, like, workshop a British accent. We spent one day workshopping a British accent, and we were like, just... Never mind, <laughs> dude. I can do a lot of stupid voices, all right? I I make my living off of stupid voices. But, uh... Wee bit of a British accent. Hello, love. Hello. I'm Charlie. Hello. <laughs> like, wasn't gonna happen. But, uh... I remember after we do this big play... Even though I didn't have a British accent, it went all right. Hello. Hello, love. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, you can see why they gave up on me. But uh, after the party, after the after party, uh, we basically had a cast party afterwards at my boy Dave's house, who kind of played like the drunken fool in Air Raids and Siren songs. So I hop a bus, I get there, I end up being about 10, 20 minutes early, which is like kind of how I like to roll anyway. I don't know party etiquette. I don't get invited to these things. And it's all like people older than me, you know? Entirely filled with people older than me. So I'm a little nervous. But luckily, I was the first one there. It was just me and Dave. He introduces me, introduces me, <laughs> he welcomes me into his home, is what I meant to say, shows me around, and there are fucking guitars everywhere, dude, acoustic, electric, all of it, it's nuts, and I couldn't help but being like, damn, dude, you got a lot of fucking guitars, you must be pretty dang good, and he's like, well, I mean, I'm okay, you want me to play something? And of course, I was like, ooh, yes, I, something... I don't want to say sexy, but uh, <laughs> there's something real nice about having somebody like, you know, play you an instrument. Because I can't really play any instruments well. I can play piano-ish, and that is bold font 72-point-ish. Like, I, I have a technical understanding of shit that sounds good, but I couldn't play you a whole song by any means. So I was eager to hear what he had to say, basically. So he grabs an acoustic guitar, which is already a good start, and he... Uh, he starts singing. He's got this really low, great voice. And it's a song I've never heard before. But I'm just hypnotized by listening to him play the guitar and listening to him sing. And he's got such an awesome low voice. It starts with him basically going, When I feel the time's a ways to go so where you go until tomorrow and I see that these are lies to come. But would you even care? I'm like, damn, dude. What are you, Eddie Vedder? Fuck. I'm already in by the chorus. And then it gets to this, you know, not chorus. <laughs> Fuck. I don't know words. And then it gets to, you know, the main hook, which I believe is chorus. Weren't you in theater? You should know this. It gets to the, the chorus, which is, it goes from, you know, and I feel pretty much to, and I feel it. And you're like, whoa, dude. I thought you were good when you were being all like, and I feel. And then you just belt out the, and she feels it. I'm like, damn, dude. What the fuck is this song? So he finishes, and I'm like, dude. What the fuck was that song? That was, that was, of course, I wasn't like, dude, I was more like, oh, sick, bro, because, you know, I'm playing it cool. And I'm like, what is that song? And he looks at me and he's like, oh, actually, this is a song called Plush. And I feel the time's a waste to go So where are you going to tomorrow And I see that these are lies to come Would you even care? And I feel it And I feel it 
subject of the old west and deaf dealers it uh seems only appropriate to talk a bit about my boy joseph samuel now i always thought it was kind of funny that you know when they hang people in movies it's always you shall be hung from the neck until you are dead like you you're telling me that people would like survive an execution well, not exactly, but uh, in order to tell you why they had to add that, let's talk a bit about my boy Joseph Samuel. Now, fun fact, uh, when you're thinking, like, in your head, when you're picturing someone being hung, you're probably imagining they walk up onto that little wooden platform, they put the noose on their neck, they pull the switch, and then you drop. But that was really only introduced in the later half of the 19th century, so, uh... This is this is before the, that, so uh, we definitely don't got no convenient little trap door here. What we do have is a cart. It would basically be a guy, some sort of support beam, and a cart. And the cart would pull away, and you would be hung. That's how it would work. So, my boy Joseph Samuel uh, picked some bad friends, hung out with a lot of gangs, just did some horrible, yucky crimes. He was not... A good person. So on September 26th, 1803, him and another uh, criminal, who they thought was in the same gang as him, but they weren't at all, actually. But anyway, they were basically both convicted of a similar crime. They were driven in the cart to Paramata, where hundreds of people had gathered to watch this shit. It was an execution, baby. Who's not going to see some guy get murdered? So they pull back the cart. The first criminal dies... Pretty quickly, but uh, Samuel's rope snaps, and he pretty much falls to his feet, sprains his ankle, he collapses. The executioner's kind of like, shit. He uh, basically hastily reties another rope, puts it around his neck, get him back onto the little thing, and they pull the cart away again. And keep in mind, the other guy isn't even dead yet. He's like still kicking weakly, and they're going for round two to try and hang my boy Joseph Samuel, so... The cart drives off, 
and the noose slips off of his neck. His boots touch the ground. He falls again. This is the second fuck up. All right, so he was the executioner at this point is like, I know I fastened that noose around his neck. He stands him up to fucking try again, and the crowd starts going nuts. They're starting to demand that my boy Sammy be set free. Like, he was already tried. This already happened. So the third time, numero three, they tie it real tight around his neck. This time we made sure it's real tight. That rope isn't going anywhere. So they pull away the cart. And the rope snaps, dude. The five hemp rope, which was like the default use for sort of nooses back then, fucking snaps. And now the crowd is fucking furious dude they're in an uproar and uh, a policeman at the time who was like watching on horseback he delayed it he was like wait 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 wait. let me go get the governor we need to chat with the governor about this because what the fuck so the governor shows up and he inspects all the ropes and there's no evidence of any ropes being cut at all and that other criminal who was successfully you know executed with the exact same rope so the governor and the entire crowd agrees. You know what? This is a sign from God that uh, Joseph Samuel had not committed any crime deserving of an execution. And his sentence was basically dropped down to life in prison. He, they couldn't kill him. They fucking tried three times before they were like, you know what? God actually, uh, yeah, God said no. So just... Send him to Australia, which is actually a thing that they did. They had a, quite a few little penal colonies around there for, for troublemakers. And it's funny, too, because part of that whole penal colony setup too, is like, oh, we'll send him to Australia. And then if he escapes the penal colony, he's in fucking Australia. <laughs> so we'll just trust that the wilderness will kill him. All the giant dinosaur birds and crazy snakes and venomous lizards. We'll just let Australia itself <laughs> be the punishment. For this people. Uh, it's funny. That's not the only example of that. There is actually one a little bit further down the line. My boy John Lee, John Babcom Lee, that was further enough ahead where they actually did have like that trapdoor sort of mechanism underneath. But uh, they tried to hang him three times also, and each time that fucking trapdoor got stuck, it never opened. And again, his sentence was kind of knocked down a bit. To life in prison, because they couldn't fucking kill him. He literally got the nickname, John Babcom, that is, of the man who could not be hung. Dude, on one hand, that's a pretty fucking epic nickname. But, like, on the other hand, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just a big silly, but uh, I kind of want to be hung.
going to pay for something at the till and they'll say something to the equivalent of uh oh would you like to round up to the nearest whole dollar to donate to the ronald mcdonald house or oh would you like to give two dollars to the calgary children's hospital and if you're like me normally you say no don't worry that's okay i i already did my i donated earlier so actually i'm okay maybe you're not like me maybe you're <laughs> nice <laughs> but uh that's certainly what I do, and it's one of the thousands and thousands and thousands of times during your daily life where you have to decide how much you give a shit. How much of your empathy and your compassion are you willing to give to certain subjects? One of the things that drives me fucking crazy on this planet of ours is YouTubers like Mr. Beast, these really young fucking kids who made two bajillion dollars making Fortnite funnies. And then they decide, you know what would be a good video idea? Why don't we just, like, pick a random homeless person and give them, like, a million bucks and, like, follow them for a day and see what they buy? Uh, you know, I'm sure there's at least someone out there being like, what's wrong with that? Giving homeless people money? Are you really going to say that you have a problem with giving homeless people money? And I don't. I absolutely don't. Pop off. Queens, kings, theys, thems. Please, uh, giving is one of the best feelings in the world, man. Even if it's not just a gift, even just donating money is so great. I would much rather give a gift than receive a gift. It's just so satisfying. And the earlier you realize that, the better your life will be. Giving people shit just feels good. It feels nice. Being a charitable boy is good. But uh, the problem I have with it is the pageantry. You're not just giving a homeless guy money, you're whipping out your thousands of dollars in camera equipment and studio lights to, to show the world how much you give a shit. When you don't. It's so bullshit. I, oh, it drives me fucking nuts. That's the real thing, is the being like, oh, no, I give a shit. See, look, I care about the homeless problem. See, I gave one homeless guy some money. So that means I give a shit. What are you, fucking Trisha Paytas? And I have a samurai sword, so I respect <laughs> the Japanese. You could be a real racist bitch holding a samurai sword, and you could be a real money-grubbing asshole while giving homeless people money. You know, whether it's all kinds of shit, too. That, that spectrum of what you decide to give a shit about, it extends to the homeless population, it extends to death, it extends to everything in your life. You have to make that choice of how much empathy am I going to give this? How much compassion and thought and time am I going to give it? You know, we're so desensitized to death. The fucking COVID death tolls on the news. Death is a statistic. Death is some odd number of miscellaneous people you'll never meet. It's impossible to put a face to or a name to. It's just numbers. I have a friend who... Uh, told me one time you know the zombie thing just kind of creeps me out it's like it's not like those are random corpses that's somebody's mom that's somebody's best friend that's somebody's daughter that's somebody's husband that's that's true and of course when i'm watching zombie movies i'm never like oh 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 these poor grandkids and small children and women's and men's and oh, all these poor people I don't give a shit. They're just zombies. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I never really thought about it like that. So uh, 
it's funny how death sort of helps you realize how much of a give, how much you give a shit. <laughs> Honestly, it really does help you realize how much you give a shit. I had that with a, when I did that episode on a, not episode, but I ended it by, by talking about Chris Farley. I don't think I ever realized how much I really gave a shit about Chris Farley until I like went back and watched some of the old stuff and listened to that old song. Like I just never realized how much I gave a shit this whole time. And, uh, I just hate how some people feel the urge to hop on their soapbox and be like, Oh, thoughts and prayers to the victims of the insert area here shooting. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Oh, my thoughts and my prayers. Don't fucking make it about you. Don't make it a like, oh, this is a hard day for me. I'm sending out my thoughts and prayers. Oh, oh, it's been so emotionally taxing. Do you really give a shit? How much of your empathy did you actually give the victims of that school shooting? How much can you give that empathy? I think there's, there's always that sort of bubble effect, you know, where if it happens close to you, it hits closer to home. Like it's more real. You know, you always hear that in movies where like, oh, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens on TV, but never the kind of thing that would happen in the small, sleepy, quiet town of Stetler, Alberta. Yes, it is, dude. It absolutely is. It just is. So I, I have no conclusion for this, I guess. I'm rambling. I know, I know. I just, man, if you're not going to give a shit, then don't give a shit. That's cool. I can work with that. But don't you fucking dare pretend to give a shit it's pretty obvious when someone actually cares and when someone doesn't and that's what rubs me the wrong way is all these people who really don't give a shit but they've made a career out of looking like they do fucking people driving down the freeway the other day some little jerk off cut me right off my lane i knew there wasn't anything i could do about it so i wrote a song it goes like this were you born an asshole or did you practice your whole life either way it worked out fine because you're an asshole tonight well you're an a S-S-H-O-L-E And don't you try to blame it on me You deserve all the credit Cause you're an asshole tonight You were an asshole yesterday You're an asshole tonight And I got this feeling You'll be an asshole the rest of your life Talking to your mother just the other night. I told her I thought you were an asshole. She said, Yes, I think you're right. And all your friends are assholes, cause you've known them your whole life. And somebody told me you got an asshole for a wife. Were you born an asshole, or did you practice your whole life? Either way, it worked out fine, cause you're an asshole tonight. Thank all of you lovely assholes for being here for this episode of I Have to Return Some Videotapes. I... Hmm. <laughs> hmm. 
<laughs> you know, it's a bit of a harsh ending. I, okay, I admit, maybe I was a little harsh at the end there. But uh, really, man, I've been thinking about that for a long ass time. So fucking either give a shit or dump. You know what I mean? I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, hey, it's me, walking oxymoron, Eric Nielsen, here in my echo chamber. You know, let me know if you like the episode, baby. So maybe I'd love to hear your thoughts on the issue. Am I being too harsh? Am I not? Am I trapped in an echo chamber where the only feedback I hear is my own? Eh, it worked out well for Joe Rogan, so I'm sure I'll be fine. Thank you, ladies and gentle assholes. I love you, and I'll see you soon, baby. Thank you, thank you very much. Hoja!